Welcome to the Start Your Engines edition of our To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we are always talking marriage and sex. And the last Thursday of every month, we like to focus on men. So we have a podcast, Start Your Engines, just for the guys. Although women, you are more than welcome to listen in too. We are going to release this on the Wednesday this month because, hey, Thanksgiving is Thursday, and that's not a great day to release podcasts. So happy Thanksgiving to all my American friends. I'm Canadian, eh? So we had Thanksgiving a while ago. Today, like all month, we've been talking about emotional maturity or how we can get in touch with our emotions in a healthy way. We've been looking at how often in the church, it seems like emotions are seen as the enemy and logic is seen as the good. And yet God is actually an emotional God. And he gave us our emotions in order to signal to us what is going on in our world, either our external world or our internal world, so that we can then make good decisions about what to do next. (laughs) So that's all emotions are, is they are just signals to us. And then it's our choice what we do with them. But it's important that we allow ourselves to feel those things and see those signals. And it's important that we understand where our spouse is emotionally too. And so that's what we're going to talk about in today's podcast is how to relate emotionally to each other when we've grown up thinking that emotions are dangerous or bad to experience. So I'm going to first bring on the podcast, Andrew Bauman. So joining me right now is Andrew Bauman. And Andrew, you are a director of Christian counseling. You have a Christian counseling center in Seattle. I really yeah, should have checked yeah. your intro first, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we do uh, West Coast and East Coast. We do work on, in Seattle and also near Asheville, North Carolina and kind of go back and forth. So yeah, we're seeing folks from both coasts. Well, and it was your wife's book that I was talking about a while ago in Theology of the Womb. And so many Mm -hmm. of of my female readers loved it. But I love what you write, especially for guys about healthy sexuality. Mm -hmm. You have a book coming out, The Sexually Healthy Man. And I just thought you would be a great one to have on for our men's podcast as we talk about emotional maturity. And I know that this is a big thing for you is how to help get men get emotionally healthy. So what does emotional health look like? Can you sum it up in any quick way? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think to to be centered in ourselves, to not let our insecurity and our trauma guide us, but like to to know who we are and to live out of that place um, Mm -hmm. in in a secure place. I remember when I was a a pastor and one of my pastor buddies on staff, he, he approached me when he met my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife. And uh, he said, are you sure? Are you sure? Don't, don't you want more of a helpmate? And I was like, huh. I was like, no, I actually want somebody who inspires me, who challenges me. Because he was basically saying, don't you want somebody to support your ministry? Um, and, right. And, and I, 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 could, I couldn't, like, yes, of course I wanted to support my ministry, but not at the expense of her glory. I want her to be glory, huge. I want her to be big. I want me to be big. I want us to step into our power. She doesn't need to be small so that I can be big. We right. can oh, both step into our glory of, of who we're meant to be. And that so much of that idea um, comes from a deep insecurity in men. I want to go into that at the end of the podcast is how we can deal with that insecurity. But before we get to that, one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of evangelical resources is that it's almost assumed that men won't be emotional. And because of that, it almost seems like it's assumed that that's a God-given thing. 
like yeah. God made men to not be emotional. So I want to read you just a couple of quotes. <laughs> Are you ready? This is going to be scary. I'll, I'll try not to uh, vomit in my mouth. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, some quotes that just say how it's expected that men aren't going to mature at all. So, and this is quite a common theme. So the book Active Marriage, for instance, said, men are just boys grown tall, and this man's failure had shaken his manhood and accentuated the boy that lurks in the heart of every man. So again, assuming that, you know, men are going to be perpetually insecure. And this is very rarely said about women. <laughs> you know, right. there's nothing wrong with insecurity, but the fact that it's assumed right. that it's men that are going to be insecure, right. that's, that's the problem. Right. And it gives them a path. This is where I feel mm -hmm. like it's fundamentally disrespectful to men. Like I expect more. I, I don't. I don't expect them to be boys. I actually expect them to be men and, and step into masculinity. We yeah. expect so less. They live into it. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't understand why men aren't railing against these books. Like it's always me railing against these books, and it's like, look, do you not understand how badly they make you guys sound? Right. And here's Kevin Lehman in Sheet Music. He says, "Sometimes we men do act like little boys. I'm not saying that's good or admirable, but that's the way we are. You're married to a real man, not an ideal stoic. And if he is denied sexual fulfillment, it will affect mm. him in more ways than a woman could possibly understand." Yeah, and, and and if you read the subtext of that, right, shaming women to perform more sexually for men to to cater to a man's insecurity, to a man's uh, many times, if if it's true that over seventy percent of Christian men use pornography, like we're catering, you know that that right there, that sentence mm -hmm. caters to a pornographic style of relating of men, like it literally like cater to their sexual appetite to become you know, why don't you be a porn star to your husband? It's mm -hmm. so gross and so dishonoring to both men and women. Yeah. And Kevin Lehman, I won't read the quotes, but in sheet music, he goes on to say that women need to have sex and give hand jobs during their periods so that husbands don't mm -hmm. watch porn. Yeah. Okay. Then there's this, a lot of the books say that men don't need romance or affection. Like that's mm. just like men just don't need it at all. So active yeah. marriage, a woman never loses the need to be romanced, whereas a man doesn't even possess that need. His mm. emotions are near the surface and easily ignited. Hers are deep and burn slowly. Wow. And then uh, Love and Respect says, sex for him and affection for you is a two-way street. Just as he should minister to your spirit to have access to your body, so you too should minister to his body if you want to gain access to his spirit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to say how much is wrong with those those quotes. <laughs> yeah, but it's that it's that whole idea, and this is what I really find difficult is when we seem to say that men need sex, whereas women need to talk. Like women need connection, mm -hmm. and men don't really right. need connection because talking and sex are not the same thing. No, and we all are created for intimacy and intimacy is not just sex. And I think when we deny men's legitimate need for emotional connection, then what happens is they channel all of those needs into sex yes, and then sex exactly. really gets perverted. Exactly. Well said. And that's, that's so much of what's behind this epidemic of pornography use as well. They're searching for deep connection and they're, they're sexualizing it. They're sexualizing their pain. They're sexualizing, mm -hmm. rather than facing their pain, they're making it sexual, and then they're projecting that onto their wives to try to fulfill the same thing that pornography has. 
it's abuse. It's sexual abuse happening, mm-hmm. and, and, it, and it seems that it's being blessed by the church. Um, yeah. It seems that like it's actually being promoted. Why does the church do that? Like, why do our evangelical yeah. resources make men sound like they are just not capable of being emotional or connecting right. and, and then portray that as a manly thing? Right. Well, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from this. I mean, what is it? 90% in America, I think 90% of pastors are male. Mm-hmm. 90%. And, and so you have, you're coming out of this patriarchal structure. And then Barna did the study that said that 53% of pastors have a relationship with pornography. So mm-hmm. if you're coming 50% of the 90%, how, how are those men going to engage women? Right. How, if they haven't processed their shame, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have, if 53% have a hidden life, how is that going to be projected onto their congregation? Right. Um, it, it, that's fascinating and, and yet tragic because these gatekeepers hold so much power over defining the norms. Whoever has the power defines the norms. Mm-hmm. And so if the norms are being defined through this pornographic lens, through this patriarchal male lens, then women are going to be harmed and men are going mm-hmm. to be harmed because mm-hmm. they're going to be given a path. They're going to be given a path. Oh, men are, men are, you know, they can't really connect deeply. They can't really emotion. It's just like, no, it's complete. It's not true. Mm-hmm. Men are, are brilliant. I actually, I, I get in trouble because I speak out against men so much. And yet I'm like, no, it's because I believe in men's goodness. It's because mm-hmm. I believe in their, that they are image bearers of God and that we mm-hmm. can learn so much from women because they have been harmed so much by our cowardice. Okay, one more round of quotes, and then I want to get into what we can actually do about this. The fact that this is something that you were picking up on is that men, you know, can't help it. Like, they're just weak. So here's every man's battle says, remember, our lust is rooted in our maleness. We understand it. Women don't. And then every man's battle also says, even apart from stopping short of God's standards, we find another reason for the prevalence of sexual sin among men. We got there naturally simply by being male. Not okay. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't, and I don't know why, like guys, okay. If you're in a book study, all you guys listening and people tell you that the reason that men sin sexually is because of the way they're made. It's okay to stand up and say that's crap. Like, <laughs> like that's yeah. insulting. You were yeah. not made to sin. You really weren't. God does not have it in for you. Exactly. exactly. And yet when we believe that men were made to sin, when we believe that men can't help but sin, and especially in the sexual area, then if men can't help it, the responsibility for men's sin now lies on women. Boom. Exactly. Yep. And, and how is it okay that we have replaced honoring women with devouring women. Like, how is that the norm? That, Mm -hmm. oh, men are just going to devour a woman's beauty. Like, that is not, that's not how we're designed. We're not designed to devour. To me, that lines up more with John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, men are not to destroy. We're to honor. Women bear the image of God. 
Right. So, okay, I want to get back to what you were saying about how often what happens is that these emotions, the needs get channeled into sex. Can you explain to the guys listening what that would feel like? Because probably that's happening for a lot of men and they don't even understand that it's happening. Yeah. And so um, I I know for me as a teenager, my parents divorced, my parents separate. I'm eight years old. I remember um, my mom moved us three states away. My father was uh, abusive. Um, I remember feeling the depression, the loneliness. I remember kicking rocks down a gravel drive. I remember finding a a four-year-old kid in the neighborhood. And I remember the shame I felt as an eight-year-old that my only friend was a four-year-old boy. Hmm. Um, And so bearing all that weight. And then slowly, as I become an adolescent, internet becomes a thing. I find pornography. It begins to soothe that loneliness in a way nothing else could women begin to um, soothe my anxiety. And so then for the next 13 years, I become kind of addicted to that high and addicted to that soothing. And so I am a recovering abuser. You know, I am a recovering where I used to use women to soothe my insecurities and to soothe my wounds. And so, Mm -hmm. so much of what happens with um, pornography use or sexualizing these things doesn't have to be pornography. You can literally just use your wife as a pornography replacement. But are you using sex to soothe? Are you using sex to escape what you need to face within yourself? Um, that's mm-hmm. the question you got to ask yourself. How are you using sex? Sex should not be a pacifier to your insecurity. And so what do guys do when they grow up and they feel yeah, this shame, they feel hurt, they feel trauma, they feel fear. And yet these are all emotions that men aren't supposed to have. We right. had another guest on, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, and he said that the only emotion that men are allowed to show is anger. Right, yeah. And so how do men start processing some of these emotions if, you're, yeah. if you don't even know how? <laughs> all right, and I remember as a little boy, like what was taught to me of what masculinity was. I remember with the, the G.I. Joe commercials and the, you know, Marlboro Man and this, this kind of uh, stoic idea of masculinity, you know, be all that you can be in the army and, you know, these mm-hmm. big guns. And it's just like, oh, man, I've got to be this kind of hard, tough. I can't show pain. I can't show. So men are set up for this idea. And, and yet we have we don't know what to do with our emotions. And, and instead of saying men are, are created that way, it's like, no, we've been socialized that way. And so yeah. there, there is a lot to undo, but we are more than capable of doing. It. Yeah. And if a guy really can't name his emotions or have these sorts of talks, mm-hmm. then like, what's the first step you should take? Is it, is it counseling? Is it? Yeah. I mean, there's a few steps you can take. Uh, one, obviously reading great books, you know, beginning to dive into those. I would also say writing, start writing out your, some of your stories, start mm-hmm. writing out some some, like you got to start doing some self-reflection work. And so I do think counseling, finding somebody who's further down the journey than you are can be an incredibly helpful thing. Getting good groups of, of friends, but actually talking deep. It's not this mm-hmm. uh, false vulnerability. Um, you know, I remember telling my testimony all the time when I was a pastor and everybody would just be like, yeah, oh, wow, so amazing. And then when I got to grad school and I, you know, we we're supposed to share our story and uh, you know, every I, I shared my story and everybody's just kind of like, what was that? 
And I realized I shared it in the same way I used to when I was a pastor, which was incredibly emotionally distant, which was basically a, a way of manipulating to get people to say, wow, what a big story you have. And then the right. professor is sitting there like, where are you? And I'm like, wait, I thought you were just going to applaud me for how awesome my story was, you know, <laughs> wrapped it up in a little Jesus bow um, and, and realizing like I was so distant. I wasn't actually right. vulnerable, but my whole ministry career, I was told how vulnerable I was, but I really yeah. wasn't vulnerable. Um, yeah. I knew how to play the game so I could be patted on the back. Um, but real vulnerability costs something. Real vulnerability actually hurts. It actually is scary. Yeah. It's, it's part of surrender, which then makes me feel weak, right? Yeah. But, but it's actually the most, the most bold, courageous thing we can do. And the funny thing about vulnerability, and this is what I've been harping on for a couple of years, is like vulnerability is the key to sexuality. Like, mm-hmm. like as we become more vulnerable with each other, that's often what really awakens desire because then it becomes real intimacy. It's not just using someone's body. It's actually being connected exactly. to someone. So when mm-hmm. men can get vulnerable, that's when they can actually tie like key or whatever the word is, you know, get, get to the actual sexuality that they want with their wife. Exactly. And it becomes so much deeper. It's so mm-hmm. much more, more robust and so much more fulfilling. And it's actually genuine intimacy rather mm-hmm. than we're so accustomed to this false intimacy. Um, and it's like we're eating scraps from the table rather than the feast that we can share with our partner when we're both fully vulnerable with each other. Yeah. So I had a, a video clip that I want to play. I'm going to put it into the podcast right about now um, from okay. Emerson Eggers. Did you have a chance to look at that? Yes, I watched it quite a few times. The 40 second clip. So this is Emerson Egrich who wrote Love and Respect and he gave a sermon uh, October 2019 in Houston's First Baptist Church. And this is part of what he said. But he can't immediately stop because his heartbeats are at 99 beats per minute. He's felt dishonored and he has to calm down. So he walks away out of honor because that's what we do as men. Our best buddies, we get in heated moments, we can get volatile. So we have to protect the relationship. The relationship is more important than the issue on the table. So then we exit because it's honorable. But in the world of intimacy, it's called unloving and abusive. Your son will be called abusive as he walks away to calm down. And he'll be completely blown away by this. What's your reaction when you hear that? I mean, it, it goes back to some of our earlier conversation. It just is not true. I mean, it just mm-hmm. feels so degrading to men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically what he's explaining is stonewalling to yeah. me. Like it's mm-hmm. when, you know, you refuse to engage, you walk away. And interestingly in the sermon, he never really talks about how to come back and actually address the issue. He just simply has men walking away as if this is a good thing. And then he says that this is what men do with other guys, which is actually what I want to pick up on first, right? (laughs) That this is how men act with other guys because we want to preserve the relationship and the relationship is more important than the issue. But that's like saying you never deal with issues. Right. That's saying if you, if you just ignore it, if you sweep it under the rug, it'll be okay. Yeah. Um, Which couldn't, couldn't be further from the truth. We actually need to engage all of it. We actually need to engage every issue um, and we need to engage it in a deep and honest way. Yeah. And I would say that if you're walking away, it's not because you value the relationship. <laughs> like if you valued the relationship, you deal with the issue. Right. And, and so that's different than, you know, I, I know my wife and I can get in an argument. We take a time out. 
right? Mm-hmm. But we know we're going to return because yeah. it has to be addressed. But like taking a time out, taking a break so your brain can chill out a little bit and taking a walk and take some deep, that is healthy. That's very different than stonewall. Mm-hmm. That's very different than just like, well, that's off limits. We're never going to talk about it. Then just that emotional distance between you and your partner grows deeper and deeper. And then resentment comes in. And then after resentment, contempt mm-hmm. comes in. And contempt is one of the killers of marriage. Yeah. yeah. So what are you supposed to do if you're mm-hmm. married to someone who stonewalls? And usually it's men, but it's not always men. Women can stonewall yeah. as well. <laughs> but, yeah. but what do you do when there is an issue and your partner just won't, your spouse just won't engage because they just cannot communicate on an emotional level? Well, that, that's a marriage issue. That, that has to be addressed. Like there has to be boundaries to mm-hmm. say like, I need that. We need help. And, and mm-hmm. I'm willing to do X, Y, Z, but we have to get help. I cannot do this. Like this is not okay. And those mm-hmm. boundaries have to be firm. So what you does that look like? So you, you run a counseling center and I'm sure in, in a lot of marriages, there's one person who wants to go to counseling for like years before you actually get okay. to counseling. Like there's usually yeah. one person who's dragging someone else. And I'm sure yeah. counseling doesn't work that well when someone <laughs> is actually dragging someone, does it? Like, right. No, but, but then it's like, you got to confront the other person. Like what type of marriage do you want? Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to deal with this stuff or do you not? Do you want to fight for your marriage? Do you want something better than what you have now? And, and normally once they can get into the room, they can say, okay, like, you know, yeah. but, but that then it goes into deeper story work. Normally they lost their heart a long time ago. Normally mm-hmm. they lost their, they lost their, you know, and then we have to go back and to undo some of this, um, you know, normally sexual abuse or, or some type of harm where they lost their, their will to live mm-hmm. in the fight. So that's where sometimes individual counseling then needs to be done before they're even ready to address the marriage then. Yeah. And so what do you do? Cause I have this question from so many people is, you know, they want to get counseling, but you can't, how do you make your spouse go to counseling? Cause you can't mm-hmm. really, can you? So what do you do? <laughs> right. Well, uh, so many times people are like, uh, until, until we've lost it all. I mean, I can't tell you how many men come to me after their wives have, have finally, stood up to them, have finally said no more, have finally had a boundary to say, mm-hmm. I will not continue like this. You need help. And, and so many times men will listen only after they begin to suffer, um, which sucks. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes the marriage is too far gone at that point. But it doesn't matter. Like the work has to be done regardless if they stay married or not. Yeah, because this is a question. It's not a marriage issue. It's really an emotional health issue. <laughs> and yes. so whether you're in a marriage or not, you got to get healthy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well said. So when you say that the wives have said no more or the husband, if it's the wife, won't go to counseling, whichever sure. direction it is. What do they mean by that? Do they mean I'm going to leave you if you don't go to counseling? I'm uh, not going to have yeah. sex with you if we don't go to counseling. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it all. I mean, both. It depends, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. if you won't emotionally connect with me, if I'm going to be sexually healthy, I can't give you my body. My, Mm -hmm. my soul has to line up with my body, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have to be emotionally connected and sexually connected. I'm not just going to give you my body unless we can connect emotionally. And that's a Mm -hmm. boundary. And that's a healthy, good boundary. I'm not going to be used by you as some sort of sex doll. We need to connect deeply. And so if we're not doing that, we need help to do that. Right. You know, we, we need to connect. We need to learn how. 
And that's something that I think a lot of women would have a hard time doing because they they grow up hearing you're not allowed to deprive him of sex ever. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but then I think the problem is that a lot of guys use sex to check in on the health of their relationship. Like if, if she right. has sex with me, then she accepts me, then we're good. And so she could right. be saying till she's blue in the face, we're not good. But if she's having sex with him, he thinks they are. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and not, again, that's not healthy sexuality. Yeah. But there's a new, for my book coming out, there's a new survey on my website that if you want to take and you can basically test if your husband is a sexually healthy man, if your partner is a oh. sexually healthy man. Um, so feel free to take that and give your results uh, right away. But basically, you can take the test and see it. One, the men can take one of the tests that says, am I a sexually healthy man? And then their partners can take another test that says, is my partner a, a sexually Ooh. Okay, yeah. we will have the links to those <laughs> in the podcast yeah. post that goes along with this podcast and in the description for this podcast, because that's cool. I'm sure there's going to yeah. be a lot of people taking that. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, if you find out that you're not sexually healthy, <laughs> then the best yeah. thing is, you know, get counseling or do some really deep work, you know, read some really good books. The Great Sex Rescue comes out in March. You can pre-order it now. Uh, your book comes out, is it January? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're pushing it. Everything's been moving so fast. So I think we might be able to get it out before Christmas um, mm -hmm. as well. So in the next, yeah, next month, within the next month, probably. So we're excited about it. Great. Well, we will have you back on when that is out and then you can talk about that some more, but yeah. please do take those, uh, those tests. Cause I think that people would find that fascinating and Hey, it gives you more data too. So last thing, if people are in a group study in a church in whatever, and they are constantly getting this message that men aren't emotional, et cetera, how can we start to change the culture? I mean, one pushing back, um, and if that doesn't go well, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you need to be a part of that, but we do mm -hmm. need to keep using our voices. And, and sadly, I think it's actually more of a man, man's issue than a woman, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, women speaking out, especially men that, that have this deep misogyny in them that hate women, your voice is not going to be heard in the church study. So it's right. like, sadly, because men are, so many men are sexist, so many men are rooted in this misogynistic way of being, um, it has to come from other men. It has to begin. That's why I'm so passionate about like men speaking up against sexism, men beginning to confront uh, patriarchy and misogyny, men stepping up to pornographic culture and, and start saying no more. Like, and so that's my call to men is mm -hmm. that we got to start speaking up and using our voice and seeing the problem and knowing that we've been a part of the problem. And, mm -hmm. and can we now switch teams? Can we now be an advocate for women rather than an objective, an objectifying women? Yeah, because guys, God made you in the image of God. <laughs> women are not more in the image of God than men are. And I think a lot of this stuff makes it sound like women are holy and men aren't. And so that's right. just the way it is. So women have to do all the hard work. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, we've all got to do this because intimacy is the goal. And you can't get there without going through emotions. Right. And, and to know that like the deeper we get connected to each other, I truly feel like God shows up more fully, mm -hmm. right? The more, the more we live in truth, the more we tell the truth, the more we experience God um, mm -hmm. because God is truth. And, and that's the beautiful part of this. It's like, we actually can know God more, the more honest and vulnerable we become. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really yeah. appreciate it. And thank we you. will have you back when your book is out. So that's awesome. Sounds good. 
now I'd like to bring another guy onto the podcast. Here is my husband, Keith. Hey, everybody. And we have a reader question that we are going to try to tackle. Great. Okay, so this one, I'm going to read this one because it's from a woman. Okay. And kind of dealing with this idea of how to connect emotionally too. So she says, my husband has this thing where if he feels that he wouldn't ask for help in a certain situation, he refuses to help someone else. For example, he had rearranged the fridge to put some milk in and the turkey that was in there started leaking blood onto the lower shelf after he'd closed the door. When I opened the fridge later while making dinner, I found it in a big puddle soaking into the egg cartons. I started to clean and as he walked by, I asked him to help. He popped the turkey into a bag and walked away. I asked if he'd stay and help with the rest of the cleanup and he said no and kept walking. Then came the fight. Once I had sopped up the worst of it, I came and asked him why he wouldn't help. It's not a two-person job was his main reason. He would rather do it himself than help, and he eventually did. I tried to get him to understand that it's about being a team, about knowing that he'll be there if I ask for help. But you didn't need help, was his reply. When I say that it makes it easier and faster, he just says the same thing. If I say he's being selfish, he says, well, you're the one being selfish to ask me to help. And this has come up in other areas. If I ask for help making the bed... Uh, It's a large king size one, so I find it a struggle to get the two small bottom sheet on. He'll say no if he's not in a good mood. I find it so hurtful when I ask and he assesses the situation and decides that it's not worth his time, that I shouldn't even bother him with these things. It seems so obvious to me that if your spouse asks for help with something like that, you chip in. His attitude feels alienating. Generally, he's a good man, but he has these things that leave me feeling bruised and distant. We're struggling with our sex life, and he doesn't get it when I say that I need to feel connected to him in other ways to want to connect with him sexually. He gets it in theory, but he'll point out some things he's done right, and those haven't magically made me want sex more. Sometimes he'll even try to be a little more helpful when he wants sex, but then something like this will pop up and sour the flavor. And that sourness doesn't all wash away with the next sweet thing he does. Am I crazy to feel guarded and unsure knowing how he might react if I ask for help with it another night? Hmm. That's tough. So yeah, this is definitely an emotional immaturity thing (laughs) going on here. Yeah. And I think this is the kind of thing that when we're talking about emotional maturity, when we're talking about how couples get along in marriage that often pops up. So I want to help understand what it is that she's really asking for. And I actually think she verbalized it pretty well here. I mean, basically what she's saying is she wants to feel like they're a team. Yeah. She wants to feel like he's there when she needs support. And yeah, that that's not, that's not a bad thing because that's what intimacy is. It's a big part of it is feeling like we are in this together. What matters to me matters to you. Mm-hmm. And what I am feeling matters to you. Yeah. And part of emotional maturity is realizing that the way that you act and react has an impact on your spouse. Mm-hmm. And the thing here is that he's not really realizing the impact of his actions and his behavior on his wife. Yeah, he's not seeing the emotional side of it. He's I mean, operating from a fully logical side. Well, and not just that. So here's the deal. So he does something in the fridge, which mm-hmm. makes a great big mess. Mm-hmm. She's cleaning it up and she's asking his help. Mm-hmm. Okay, His response is it's a one person job. Right. So then it's your job. Exactly. (laughs) Like he made the mess, right? Like, you know, if you spill a glass of milk, you clean up your glass of milk. Like, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something we teach children, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I came by and I saw you clean up a big mess in the fridge that Mm -hmm. I made, Mm -hmm. my first thought wouldn't be, oh, well, it's only a one person job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. come on. That, yeah. that, that, that's not right. That doesn't yeah. make sense. And so and she did say eventually he did. But it's yeah. like, that shouldn't have been a big fight. 
Right. Like she should have been able to say, hey, like you made a big mess here. And he should have said, oh, well, then no, no, you worry about it. don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I made the mess. I'll clean it up. Yeah. yeah. And then the thing with the sheets, I totally get that too. I can never get those stupid sheets oh, on the bed. This is a big fight for you and me all the time. Because like the way you make a bed is like, <laughs> it's like I say, I always say, you know, like, the, the, can I tell them that, that the rule is that whoever's at a bed last makes the bed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the rule. And that's great because I hardly ever make the bed because I'm always up way before she is. But every once in a while, she gets up before me. And then I always joke and say, I got like the first thousand of my 10,000 steps making the bed because she you all the pillows. Yeah. Because I, I have like mega pillows She has this bed, whole way. So she, it has to be a certain way. And that, that's fine. I love you yeah, for it. So he has know. to go back and forth putting yeah, all the pillows yeah. on. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. What, was, what was my point with all that? She finds it hard to make the bed to put that stupid sheet on. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing, too, is that you, like, the fact that you like the bed a certain way, mm-hmm. that matters to me. Now, yeah. I wouldn't make the bed that way. <laughs> yeah. But other than making a little fun of you right now, I don't yes. complain about it because that's the way you like it and I want you to be happy. And it's not a big deal. Like, yeah, it looks if you, pretty. If you're in a healthy relationship with each other, you want to make each other happy in these little ways, naturally. So if... She has 15 throw pillows on the bed <laughs> that you put on every morning and take off every night yeah. before you get and, you know, bed. And if it's a huge thing and every big deal has to be exactly a certain way and that stuff, then you have a conversation about, hey, no, I don't. I think you asked for too much help. Mm-hmm. You know, you have those kind of the conversations, but mm-hmm. not just a just blow someone off because you don't think it's a two-person job. Right. That's yeah, it's a because, very different thing. Because what you're missing is what's going on below the surface. And that's the thing. And all month we've been talking about emotional maturity. It's understanding that things that happen do happen on an emotional level as well. So if she's asking for help, it's because she feels like she wants to be supported. And if he doesn't help, even if he can list all these reasons why he shouldn't have to help, it's going to affect her in an emotional way. Mm-hmm. And he's not really giving any credence to that. Yeah, you're right. And, but but even even if you got rid of the emotional thing, like let's mm-hmm. imagine that the guy's totally emotionally like zero. Like imagine the guy has no understanding of the emotional concept of these things, right? Mm-hmm. There's just a justice issue here, yeah. right? For instance, you made the mess. You should be cleaning up. You shouldn't mm-hmm. be fighting about having mm-hmm. to clean up. The other mm-hmm. thing I really like was too, was where she says that she felt like he was being selfish by not helping. Mm-hmm. And he said she was being selfish for asking for help. Right. That sounds like a toddler. You know, yeah. you're a stupid head. No, you're a stupid head. Like, it's just it's just a reflex yeah. thing. It's not, like, I can't believe that he really thinks it's selfish to ask for help. Right. Like, does he really? Or is that just a reflex thing? Like, he feels attacked, and so he's just attacking back with the same thing that she said to him. Mm-hmm. It's not selfish to ask for help. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also not selfish to say, look, I'm in the middle of something right now. I can't help you. I'll help you later. Or to have logical adult conversations about how much work each of you is doing, all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. to just not help somebody, yeah, that's yeah. selfish. Yeah, But to ask for help in the first place when you need help, that's not selfish. No, And exactly. that shouldn't be called selfish. If your wife can't get the bottom sheet on or if she has a difficult time carrying heavy groceries in, you know, that's not a big deal to help her with that. Like that's legitimate. <laughs> but the bigger issue here again is that she just wants to feel like they're part of a team. And instead she's she's fighting to get him to recognize that mm-hmm. they are a team. Yeah. And that's a problem. Well, they're not, and they're not acting as a team. No. And, and that's the thing is you may think you're right in a situation, but you always have to balance being right with building your relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's part of emotional maturity. Yeah. It's, it's saying that, you know what, like, yeah, Sheila's being a little bit crazy right now, but 
I love her and this is important for her, so I'm going to do it. Or Keith's being a little bit too fussy about the way this needs to be, but I love him and I want to make him happy. So it's okay. Like it's that give and take. That's mm-hmm. that's part of a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. Realizing that, it's not always all about you and what you need and what's exactly the right thing for the situation. You know? Exactly. Sometimes it's what the marriage needs. And I think what I what I really want to say here is is that what I hear from a lot of women is I keep bringing this up and he tells me it's not an issue. He tells me I'm being silly. He tells me that this isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. And guys, if your wife is repeatedly bringing something up that you think is stupid or that you think isn't a problem, by ignoring it and by trying to downplay it, all you are doing is causing distance in your marriage. Because if something matters to her, it's affecting the marriage. Even if you think it's dumb and even if you think it's stupid listening to her heart, understanding why it's important to her matters. Like instead of arguing who should have to clean up the turkey or whether the turkey is a two-person job, getting to the heart of it. And the heart of it is I'm not feeling supported. That's valid. And when you're arguing about the turkey, you're missing out on the actual thing that's going on below the surface, which is what's really important, which is she's not feeling supported. And so if your wife is continually saying, I don't feel supported, or I just feel like you're not caring about me, and you say, well, I am, so stop it, you're just making everything worse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we're not saying that every time one spouse says to the other one, I feel unsupported, that means you have to drop everything and do what they say. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that. We're just saying you have to be emotionally mature enough to be able to listen and take criticism and be open to the idea that maybe you would need to be helping out more. Mm -hmm. And just because she says that you're not supporting me does not mean that she thinks you're a bad husband. Absolutely. It doesn't mean she thinks you're a bad person. That's kind of what I was trying to get at. You're saying it so much better than me, but it's like being emotionally mature means not feeling attacked Mm -hmm. when another person has an emotion based on how you acted. Yeah. If she says, I don't feel supported to say, well, and then get all defensive about it. That's not emotional maturity. Mm-hmm. Like maybe she's being too sensitive. That's okay. You should have a discussion about it and talk about it logically. But mm-hmm. if you react with defensiveness right away and proved her that she doesn't have a right to feel unsupported, that's not helpful to the relationship. Yeah, if she's feeling that, it matters. And then the other thing that she talks about later is that he is connecting, helping her and doing things for her with having sex. So he feels like... Did I read that part of the question? No, no, you did. I, I, I did. just I didn't think that it was as transactional as you're making it sound in the question. But but I, a lot of guys do that. Well, he, I, this is part I don't think I read. She said, sometimes he'll even try to be a little more helpful when he wants sex. But then something like this will pop up and sour the flavor. And that sourness doesn't all wash away with the next thing he does. Using the making the bed example, sometimes he'll go quietly and do it all by himself as a nice gesture since he knows I hate doing it and it's very sweet. But again, it's because he's hoping to get sex later. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing nice things because you're expecting sex, it's going to have the exact opposite effect. (laughs) And also too, like, you know, we've had this discussion before in like when we talk at marriage conferences and talk too, is guys don't just want to be placated. Mm -hmm. Guys want to honestly be truly wanted Mm -hmm. in the bedroom. That's part Mm -hmm. of a man feels, you know, that way when he's wanted by wives, not when she's just allowing him and i think it's the same way it's just it's overall in your relationship is this something that we are doing together Mm -hmm. or is this something that we sort of begrudgingly give to each other Mm -hmm. so begrudgingly doing chores because your wife wants you to do it so that you that she'll begrudgingly give you sex later 
what a horrible way to have a relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why don't we instead have a relationship where we're both giving 100% all the time mm-hmm. to each other, whether it's in work or on the house or whether it's in the bedroom or wherever, it's, wherever mm-hmm. it is, that we're trying honestly to do what's best for the relationship and for the other person. Yeah, because if we turn sex into something which is transactional, like if you do this for me, I will do this for you. <laughs> Have you done the Herbie? Oh yeah, it's like it's like okay. We we used to watch WKRP in Cincinnati, and I loved that show. Yeah, awesome show from the seventies. And one of the characters was complaining about his wife and sex, and he said, "My wife thinks sex is a reward. You know, better mow the grass, Herbie, or no num nums tonight. Uh huh, uh huh." And I think sometimes we do think of sex that way. Like it is transactional. You know, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And when we do that, to women especially, sex becomes ugly. Because that's saying, I don't want you. I just want what you can do for me. Like if sex is not about our relationship, if sex is just something that I get as a transaction, then it just is really gross. And this is one of the biggest turnoffs that women have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For women, sex needs to flow out of a feeling of partnership. Mm -hmm. Sex flows out of a feeling of relationship. And I know so many guys, like, they just want that hidden key that can turn on their wife's sex drive. (laughs) And I've been trying so hard, you know, to figure out what that is. There isn't one. I'm sorry. But I can tell you, even though I can't tell you how you can absolutely turn your wife's sex drive on, I can tell you how you can absolutely turn it off. (laughs) And, And this is a great way to turn it off is by treating sex like it's a transaction. Sex should flow out of a feeling like we're in this together. We love each other. We serve each other. We support each other. What matters to you matters to me. And what matters to me matters to you. That's how healthy sex flows. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to show your wife that. And you've got to support her emotionally in the way that she needs to be supported. And the other thing too is that just listen. Like sometimes, a lot of times we sort of get upset as guys because we think this is another problem that I got to fix. And sometimes the problem's me, which is even worse because I don't really want to fix me because I don't don't think I'm broken, Mm -hmm. right? So as opposed to thinking of it in that way, just listen. Just Mm -hmm. really, really listen. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, just saying, well, let me think about that. Women just want to be heard sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's not even that they want something to be instantly changed right now. It's just they want to feel like you're hearing them, that you're honestly listening. Mm -hmm. I just thought that this question was such a perfect example of the kind of conflicts we often get into over really, really little things. And they seem so little. And it seems like you're each harping over things that are so tiny, but these things really do build up. And they give Mm -hmm. a message of what our relationship is like. And so I just want to reiterate again, if your wife is saying, I don't feel supported, and if your wife keeps bringing something up and you keep saying it's not an issue, it is going to escalate and it is going to become really big. So just listen to the emotion that's behind this and talk to her on an emotional level. And I think you'll find that's going to fix a lot of things in your relationship. I'm hoping anyway. Okay. The other thing we like to do on the podcast is we like to talk about some new research. I'm going to start doing that on all of my podcasts, some new survey results or findings not necessarily my own, but other people's too. But today, instead of doing that, I am going to tell you that we are currently conducting research. Yes. (laughs) So we have a survey that is open. Guys, we need you. We need to know what you think about your marriage and your sex life and everything in between. We already surveyed 20,000 women, so we know what they think. But now it's 
time to know what guys think about the same thing so that we can measure women against men and see where we agree and where we don't and what we can learn from each other. So guys, please take the survey. I'm going to leave the link in the post that goes along with this podcast and in the description to the podcast. It takes about roughly 10 minutes. So it's not onerous. You can do it really quickly. And I am so excited to start sharing the results with you in a couple of weeks when we get those results. So please, that would help me so much. And for all my American listeners, happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. I do think you have Thanksgiving at a weird time. Up here in Canada, we do it in October so that we still have two and a half months between Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> this just seems so close. I don't understand. It's all about football. It's all, is that what it is? <laughs> oh, I think so. Okay. <laughs> well, happy Thanksgiving. We wish you all the best with your family and we may not do another Start Your Engines podcast until the new year. So mm. we will see you again in January when we restart and get ready for the launch of our new book, The Great Sex Rescue. So check us out on tolovehonorandvacuum.com as we continue our emotional maturity series and thank you for listening in to the to love honor and vacuum podcast